back in December, uh, I was on a run uh, one morning, AirPods in, and my phone rings, and I look down and see that it's one of my friends from college that lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. Over 10 years ago, uh, this support to start Oaks Parish, he and his wife began giving, jumped on board early on, and they faithfully gave month in and month out uh, to our church well beyond the startup period. The last time I talked to this friend was about a year ago, and at that time he had called me to tell me that he had been laid off of his job, and he wanted to give me a heads up that he and his wife were no longer going to be able to give here at Oaks Parish. But he said that once he found a job, they would resume giving. And so listening to him, first my, my heart went out to him uh, for this disorientation that he was now experiencing vocationally and the impact this was going to have on his family. But then when he mentioned that they would resume giving once he found another job, I thought, well, that's a nice thing to say. Never expecting him to ever give again. So back a month ago, I'm running through the neighborhood that morning. He calls to let me know that he had finally found a new job and asked if I could send the link to give on our website so that he and his wife could begin giving again. <laughs> year later, I was absolutely floored. Who in the world does something like that? You know, this transition that he experienced in his life, it would have been the perfect opportunity to never give again here at Oaks. A clean break. Toot and promised to send along our giving link. But the whole time I'm thinking in my head, why be so generous? Why be so generous? So I said to him, you know, many people would have never followed through on the commitment that you gave a year ago. And he said, I just consider generosity part of my calling in life. And I'm just glad that we can help. I share this story in part because I want you to know there are people 4,000 miles away that care about you. That care about what God is doing in the life of this church. The heart of my friend reminds me of the cornerstone passage of this cheerful giving series that we're looking at. That passage being Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There Paul writes, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsions, a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Why be generous? That's a really important question for us as human beings. And so to answer that question this morning, I want us to understand something about our creation, but then also about our recreation. Those are kind of the two points this morning, our creation and our recreation. We begin with our creation and what that has to do with generosity. It really was true. They had it all. They lived in a beautiful part of the world, really too beautiful for words. They had jobs they loved, doing things that made a difference. 
They had a wonderful marriage free of accusation, conflict, and division. Every day was filled with beauty, purpose, and love. You and I would look at their lives and wish somehow, some way, we could enjoy the same. Not only peaceful and right, but they were vertically right as well. More important than the love that they had for one another, they also lived in loving, worshipful peace with God. You simply could not imagine finding yourself and your loved ones in a better situation than, your, than theirs. Yes, they had it all, but sadly, all sometimes is not enough. And one single act of arrogance, defiance, and rebellion, they lost it all. And perhaps that story is familiar to you because I think it's a story that repeats over and over again throughout our lives and in our neighborhoods. That's Paul David Tripp's description, though, of creation, our creation. Author Kim King, in her book, When Women Give, she talks about how that story connects with what we're made for. She writes, we were made to give. Scripture tells us that God made men and women in his image. So we were made to love. We were made to enjoy what our creator enjoys. We are also made to act with authority and responsibility toward all God has created on earth and entrusted to us. We share this responsibility with each other and with God. What King is saying there is that we're made in the image of God. And therefore, we are created to be generous. And that reality, it explains some things about human existence. The first thing it explains is why we can be naturally generous as human beings. Why we can be naturally generous as human beings. You know, we had Steve Gray on the podcast this week. And he mentioned that in his experience helping people manage wealth, he's found that some of the wealthiest people are incredibly generous. And when he said that, I was thinking, Steve, you're making the opposite point that I, hoping, that I was hoping you were going to make on this podcast today. I was hoping you were going to come on the podcast and tell us all about the selfishness and the greed that you see in your work, about how you've seen money destroy people's lives, and about how enslaving it all is. And while wealth does create complexity and stress... Steve attested to the fact that for some mysterious reason, people enjoy giving their money away. In fact, research studies show that part of the human when we give away money, we experience joy when we give. What can explain that sort of phenomenon? I mean, if we're just merely products of mechanical forces in the universe, and only the strong survive, why do people sacrifice for one another? You might posit that sacrificial giving is an evolutionary sociological development that we learned over time for the preservation of our species. But that hypothesis doesn't hold up when you consider the fact that not all of humanity is generous. Sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. Some people are, some people aren't. I think the story of Scripture, our story, gives us the best explanation. The story of scripture would say that we're generous because it's in our DNA. Because we've been made in the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God didn't need to create you and me and the cosmos in order to feel complete. Theologians have a fancy word for this, aseity. It's God's all-sufficiency. And yet, despite being truly sufficient, God decides not to be unto himself, to not exist with just a self-orientation. God is generous. He's self-giving. He's self-sacrificing. And if he acts in this way, and if we're made in his image, then there is some part of us that is naturally inclined to act in that same way. And this explains why you can be a really generous person, even if you don't have a relationship with God. But secondly, our creation story explains why we're not naturally generous. And paradoxically, this counters the point that I just made. <laughs> Scripture tells us that although we were made like God to be generous, I mean, we hear in that creation narrative, Adam and Eve are charged with going forth to be fruitful, to be multiplied, to multiply, in a sense, to expand generosity out in the world. And despite that calling, we choose a different path. Notice the character of original sin. God gave everything, a world of abundance, but commanded them just not to partake of this one thing. They had everything else, but it was just this one thing. And Satan comes along and he introduces FOMO into the world. And he says, you know, you, you, might, you really might be missing out on something. Maybe God's holding back from you. Have you ever considered that? What we find here in the original sin and the character of that original sin is that it's covetousness. It's wanting what we don't have. Wanting what we don't need. What do Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve do? They begin to buy into that lie. And the Hebrews in the English says that they take but in the Hebrew, that word take, it means to seize or to grasp. It's astonishing to note that consumerism is the fundamental reason why the world is messed up. It's fear that there's some other life, there's some other thing that we're missing out on. And until we get that thing, we're not going to be complete. Kim King in her work referenced earlier notes four particular challenges that we face out of the brokenness of this story when it comes to our posture of generosity. First is fear and anxiety. What if? You know that question that rolls around in your head? What if? What if I don't have what I need right now? What if I'm not gonna have what I need in the future? I know that God showed up a couple of years ago, but what if he doesn't show up next week? In Luke chapter 21, Jesus is observing worship at the temple. And he sees a poor widow, a person at the lowest end of the socioeconomic spectrum, bringing into worship her tithe. And he comments, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them contributed out of our abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. And King points out that this story is not so much about her sacrificial giving, 
as it is about her total trust and surrender. Do you trust that God will come through for you? The second challenge King notes is the desire for more. This often manifests itself in our spending practices. Buying what we want, buying what we're intrinsically bad. Yet because we live in a thoroughly capitalistic society, spending is the air that we breathe. Consider how many marketing messages come at you at a given day. Whether it's just on an, inter an internet website where you're buying something else as an advertisement for something else, when you're watching a football game, when you're scrolling through social media. Just this past Thursday in the Wall Street Journal, I came across an article entitled, What Recession? Growth Ended Up Accelerating in 2023. And the first line reads, the recession never showed up in 2023. Consumers made sure of it. The economy grew by an unexpected 3.1% because of spending, consumer spending and government spending. One reason generosity is so challenging is because the very health of the economy of the country that we live in is based upon us spending, doing the very spending it on ourselves. The FOMO of the garden is real. It is still with us. It is that haunting voice. You might be missing out. And that shapes life here in America on a daily basis. Can we trust God to be content? The third challenge, subconscious beliefs. You know, we all have recorded messages that play over and over again in our head. And that's certainly true about money. This usually comes from family lore. You know those stories. Be like Aunt Sally. She never took a vacation all her life. Saved every last penny. Or don't be like Uncle Joe. He came into some money and then squandered it all. Or when we begin to earn paychecks in our adult life, we begin to hear maybe a new message. I've, I've worked so hard. I earned this. I deserve to do whatever I want with this. Most of the time we don't pay attention to these messages, but they exert profound influence on our emotional relationship with money. What might those messages be for you? The fourth challenge, not making a plan. Science shows that about 40% of the decisions that we make every day are made unintentionally as a result of the habits that we have developed. Is it possible that Adam and Eve took the fruit because they had not prepared themselves to say no? I say that because of my experience at Costco. <laughs> you guys know I have fond affection for Costco. And every time I walk into that marketplace, you know, I pass by the computer section first, and I'm thinking, man, my iPods aren't really working that well. I, I, or my AirPods, I, I think I, I need a new set of AirPods. I walk past the person doing the, the Vitamix display, and I'm thinking I really need to spend about $500 on a blender. <laughs> I walk through the men's section, otherwise known as Forever 41, and I see that new, see that new shacket. All of these things are calling out to me. And it takes discipline to say no. The beauty 
uh, developing a budget is ahead of time we decide what are we going to say yes to and what are we going to say no to and that practically impacts our ability to be generous so here's the question that i think sums up all four of these challenges what is deeply within my heart underneath my financial behaviors what is deeply within my heart underneath my financial behaviors finally our creation story explains how we can live a life of generosity you know there's four challenges fear a desire for more subconscious beliefs not having a plan these things cloud our true image the image of who we your bathroom mirror after a shower you can kind of see yourself but it's vague not so clear notice what happens when Adam, Adam and Eve get what they thought they wanted they don't experience triumphant joy they don't experience some life that somehow they were missing out on it was all a mirage that vanished and instead of finding greener pastures they were left naked and ashamed i had an interesting experience a few weeks ago and i think it was from the lord uh, i had done about two weeks or two days worth of car repairs on our van i told you about it during christmas break um, it was a triumphant repair okay but driving it around afterwards my check engine light came back on once again and i was defeated and so as you might imagine i began i just need to go get a new car and just be done with all of this i was on the toyota website looking at monthly payments doing all this daydreaming the very next day i go down to phoenix arizona to my sister's wedding i had rented the cheapest car possible on autoslash.com I get there and this is the car that they gave me so I spent a couple of days driving around the de deserts of Arizona in a brand new muscle car and I want you to know this is the kind of thing that like when you pull into a parking lot you have to back this car in there's there's no front parking you back this thing in every time and I and when I first got in and I was like wow a brand new car this is what it feels like the leather the features everything's working no check engine lights on apple carplay this is the dream but after a few hours i began to realize it was just a car and i felt god whisper into my heart see just a machine to get you from point A to point B and the mirage vanished and when the mirage vanished for Adam and Eve notice how God responds he searches their heart he finds them out he catches them in their lie in order to rescue them from the bondage and their decision had real-world consequences uniquely this is one of the things that that covetousness and sin in general does it exiles us it moves us into isolation it moves us away from God it moves us out of community 
with one another. But then notice what God does. He provides for them. And he does so through a sacrifice. Mysteriously in ways that weren't explained in the passage. God sacrifices an animal in the garden. And then he fashions new clothing for them. On the podcast this week, Martha asked, what do we do with the guilt and the shame that we experience in our failure with money? To which Steve replied, you take it to God. And that's how we find renewal in this life of generosity. Is we take our failure and our shame to God. And in this one sentence from Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, it tells us everything we need to know about what to do with our guilt and shame. We have all failed with money. We have all made unwise decisions. We have all bought things that we could not afford. We all wish that a decision that we made 20 years ago would have been different. But you need to know this from Scripture itself. God is enough to cover your failure. God is enough to do away with your shame. This is the gospel applied to money. Because this simple sacrifice of an animal in the garden telling, it's a foretaste of another sacrifice that would be made by God himself. That God came in the person of Jesus and he sacrificed himself for our failure in our finances. And when we come to him with our guilt and shame, it's his sacrifice, it's his provision that takes it away. It's not us just working a little harder. And relationally restored with God, it's the righteousness of Jesus that gives us a new standing. And it's the security of being in relationship with God because of his sacrifice that gives us the security that we were looking for the whole time. It's in the security of Christ that the fog of the mirror is wiped away and we begin to see ourselves as we were truly made to be generous sacrificial, self-giving. It's only in Christ that our image can be restored. We are recreated in God's very image, which means we are empowered for a life. So it's through trusting in Christ that we recapture an imagination for what can be with this tool that we call money. We are made in the image of a self-giving God, and the work of Christ recreates us in that same image. All we do is trust. I briefly want to touch on a case uh, study to show how this recreation power plays out in our life. It comes from Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Really, this could be a whole sermon, but let me just touch on a few things just for a moment. The story opens, we find ourselves in Jericho, which is the intersection of various roads on pathways of commerce. And then we meet Zacchaeus, this man who is described as the chief tax collector and that he was very rich. Think Ponzi scheme here. This is the only time in scripture where the word chief is applied to tax collector. Tax collectors collected money on behalf of the Roman Empire, often with some latitude about the percentage of the cut that they could keep. So Zacchaeus was at the top of this pyramid. He had other collectors working under his authority, so he was taking a cut of the cut of the cut. It's a Ponzi scheme here. What's worse is he's a Jewish man collaborating with the enemy, Rome. 
He's making a profit off of his brothers and sisters in the faith, which is strictly forbidden in Old Testament law. Jericho is a small town, so you can imagine that on a daily basis, the wealth of Zacchaeus was constantly on display, constantly in everyone's face. But just like Adam and Eve, covetousness has exiled Zacchaeus. He is universally despised. He's really an outcast because of his wealth. He lives an isolated existence. And perhaps he's feeling just that the day that Jesus comes to town. He was a man who had it all and yet had nothing. The mirage had vanished the day that Jesus comes. And we know that the mirage had vanished because Zacchaeus does something that's absolutely humiliating. He was this man who had all of this standing in town, all of this wealth, and yet he was a short man. Think Danny DeVito. And so he climbs to the top of this tree because he's done with this life that he's lived. He just, wanna, he just wants to catch a glimpse, maybe, of this man, Jesus. Maybe it'll make a difference in his life. He sets himself up as an object of ridicule because he no longer cares about anything. Something is beginning to stir within his soul. And of all the people that Jesus could have chose in town that day, he looks up into that tree and tells Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Hospitality was a core value among the Jews. It was a holy and a sacred act. And so all the townspeople begin to grumble. Doesn't Jesus know who this guy is? He's all of our enemy. At one point in Jesus' ministry, a rich man came to Jesus and asked, what must he do to inherit eternal life? To be in the kingdom of God. And Jesus told him to give up his attachment to money. The man couldn't do that. He refused. And so he walked away from Jesus. Zacchaeus does just the opposite. In fact, Zacchaeus doesn't even ask Jesus any questions. He just tells Jesus what he's going to do. He begins telling Jesus that he's going to give away his wealth. Old Testament law required a tithe of 10%. Zacchaeus here promises 50%. Old Testament law required 20% interest to make restitution for those that you had wronged financially. Zacchaeus promises 300% interest. Because of his love of money, Zacchaeus had become lost, lonely, and exiled. And he hit rock bottom. But when he looked at Jesus, he saw the tree. He saw freedom. He saw the love of God. And that was the expulsive power of a new affection. And the sacrifice of Christ would give Zacchaeus a standing and an identity that can only be found in God. John Cortines and Gregory Balmer in their book True Riches says, when we trade in our sense of self-importance for gratitude and begin partnering with God in his work, we discover the peace and fulfillment that has otherwise eluded us. Gratitude is the living thread that ties together the gospel, generosity, and God's grace in our heart. I'll end with a picture from a research study. In 2014, a survey was conducted called the Christian Wealth and Giving Survey. The survey looked at whether moving closer to Christ and his church is a cat generosity. 
And here's the list of charitable giving rates by various demographics. Americans, generally speaking, give away less than 3% of their income. Wealthy Americans give away less than 3%. Those who call themselves Christians here in America give away less than 3%. But notice this, church-going Christians that experience the formative rhythms of faith that begins to increase 5 to 8%. And then devoted Christian income, the study found that they're giving away more than 10%. What can explain that? It's only the power of the recreation that we find in Christ. The more that we find our security in Christ, the more generous that we become, which is to say the more that we grow into the very image of God himself. This is what my friend meant when he said, giving is a part of my calling. Recreated in Christ, it becomes the calling of us all. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for all that we have. It is truly a gift that we never deserved. That we have some goals and dreams, we're totally content, even in times of suffering. Because our identity is secure in your son Jesus. In every situation, we lean on you and trust in you for provision. Although our own planning and hard work plays a role, our heart and life are full of generosity. They're animated by love for those who need, even when it costs us dearly. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.